a minute. But before we do that, we continue to hear great stories uh, from our... Isn't that good stuff? Let's celebrate that. And uh, thank you. Thanks for your generosity in supporting ministries like Opportunities Now in Myanmar. They're helping people find their way back to God there, and uh, we got to bless them, uh, not only with our regular monthly support, but again, as Ben said, with that retreat to encourage their staff. If you'd like to know more about the ministry partners uh, we support, you can check that out on our website or through the app. Over the last few weeks, we've been laying out this vision that we believe that God is calling our church family to together. And as a part of this vision, we are believing that the Lord is going to help us raise $7.5 million together uh, over the next couple of years. If you're new with us today, uh, maybe you received, you should have received, hopefully you received a, an initiative booklet when you came in. You can pick one of these up on the way out if you didn't get one. But page nine there kind of highlights uh, the key parts of this vision together. There are three major parts uh, to our greater vision. The first is disciple making, and that's just what we do every day. That really is the engine of our church. That's the kind of the lifeblood of, of who we are, and, uh, and so it's, it's what we do every day. It's what we do every week from uh, our kids' ministry to our student ministry. It has everything to do with uh, paying for all the needs for two campuses. It's staff salaries and health insurance. It's buying bagels and pancake mix and paying for coffee and meeting the needs of ministry partners like Opportunities Now on a regular basis. The second part is we want to keep reaching our cities, and we still feel called to both Noblesville and Carmel, but we're praying and believing that the Lord is going to multiply some more campuses through our church in the years to come. Uh, but for us right now, reaching our cities is about our current facility needs, and the biggest priority is we need a new home for our Noblesville campus. And so we are praying and trusting the Lord for that, uh, but we need to make some improvements to our Carmel campus too to make sure that they They've got all of the room they need for the growing ministry work there. The final part is to change the world. And we do believe that we're called to partner with other groups and ministries that are helping people find their way back to God. And so the change the world piece for us uh, is compassion in addition to what we're already doing as a church. And so if we can hit our goal, if we can hit the $7.5 million goal together, uh, we want to bless our local schools and helping them meet some of the uh, critical needs that are before them right now. We want to help a partner church uh, and ministry in Albania uh, that's running out of space for their congregation. We want to help them get a new home, and we can do that through this greater event. And finally, we want to keep assisting uh, adoptive and foster families right here in our own church uh, and in Hamilton County. But even though it's three pieces, I want to stress the morning that it's one vision. 
All right, it is one vision for us and as one church together. And so we can't just do one of these things. We can't just two of these things and still do what we believe that God is calling us to do together as a church. And so that's why all three of these pieces together form one vision or what we're calling one fund. And so it means that you can't just give to one part. That when you give, you're giving to the entire vision. And so in a couple of weeks, or even this Tuesday night, as we'll talk about here in just a moment, when you make a commitment to God through greater, you're committing to the whole vision. Not just a building, uh, not just to a compassion piece, but to all of it. And after March 22nd, okay, after March 22nd, every dollar you give over the next two years goes to greater. All right, it all goes to this greater vision together because again, our regular operating budget is a part of this seven and a half million dollar goal. But I wanna give you a couple of dates, a few dates to be thinking about if you wanna write these down. First of all, this Tuesday night, uh, March the 10th, we're hosting what we call Advanced Commitment Night right here at our Noblesville campus. Uh, this is going to be a special night of worship and prayer and testimonies. Uh, it's going to be a special evening for anyone who comes that's ready to make their commitment to greater. And so we'd like to invite you to come to that. If you're going to come, go to the website or the app and just RSVP that you're going to be there. We're going to make sure we've got enough child care and we'll have some light refreshments. But it's going to be a special evening together again this Tuesday night. Sunday morning, March 22nd, is what we call Commitment Sunday. It's the end of our greater teaching series. And that's going to be a morning where everyone in our church will have the opportunity, if they haven't already, to make their financial commitment to this two-year event. Remember, the primary goal is 100% engagement. And so we are believing and trusting that everyone's going to get on board together uh, so that every single dollar you give will go to this greater event. If you've never given before, this is an opportunity for you to start to give for the very first time in your life. And so we hope you'll pray and be uh, considering how you can participate again. That's March 22nd. And then finally, April 11th and 12th is, is Easter weekend for us. We'll start talking about Easter services soon. But on that weekend, we're going to ask anyone who hasn't already to make their first gift to greater on, on, on Easter weekend. That's going to be a big celebration weekend for us. Uh, and so if you have maybe some stored resources, something from savings, if you know you're going to give some over and above, maybe from another place, and are able to do it by Easter weekend, that can help us get started and get started faster. And so we'd invite you to be praying about that. If you're going to increase your regular giving over the next couple of years, Easter weekend would be a great weekend to start doing that. We're going to have baptisms as a part of that weekend. And we hope to be able to announce the total committed, all right, Easter weekend so that we can celebrate that together. All right, let's pray. We'll keep going. Father, thank you for what you're doing through Genesis, uh, what you're doing right here in this community for a... Uh, number of churches that are committed here to helping people find their way back to God. And we love seeing what you're doing in places like Myanmar. Thank you that we get to play a, a small but yet significant uh, part in that work. And as we continue in this greater series, Lord, we're trusting you for what you have ahead for our church, but we're also trusting for what you're doing in our lives. And uh, we pray that today would be another step in that. And so open our hearts, open our minds, Lord, speak through me and through your word this morning. Be glorified in all that we do here today. Have your way in us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Well, if you are new, we have been studying through the life of a man named Abraham, uh, whose personal spiritual journey for us is recorded in the very first book of the Bible, the Old Testament book of Genesis. And God called, as we discovered week one in this series, God called Abraham to leave everything that was comfortable to him in order to pursue a greater calling that God had for him and his family. But, but what I want to point out this morning is that God wasn't just trying to take Abraham somewhere new, all right? It wasn't about just a new destination or a new home, even though that was important, but his goal, in fact, I would say his ultimate goal was to make Abraham into something new, all right? To make him into a new person, and that's true for us as well. Uh, God's transforming work, his desire to transform each and every one of us. And he's not nearly as interested in where you go in life. He's not nearly as interested in what you acquire for yourself or what you accomplish, but he is deeply interested in who you are becoming as a follower of Jesus. And he wants to teach us to trust. Uh, He wants to teach us to have greater faith. And as we're going to see today, to be totally surrendered to him in everything in our lives. And that's an important distinction. Because in some ways, you know, we've, we've made Christianity into this convenient sort of experience here in America, uh, into this way of life that we might be willing, again, to make some convenient adjustments along the way as long as it works for us. But it's so much more than that, that following Jesus is about total surrender. It's about surrendering every part of your life to him. And so if you're taking notes today, the title of this morning's message is Greater Surrender. And while greater is, yes, about where God is leading, our church and accomplishing these goals, it has everything to do with what God is doing in your life and in my life and the type of people that we're becoming, all right? And so we're going to be in Genesis 22 today. It's, again, the first book of your Bible, the very first pages. Uh, If you want to use one of the Bibles around the room, page 14, Genesis 22. What's interesting about Abraham is that it doesn't appear that he treasured money or possessions in great ways, but he did treasure his son, all right? He did treasure his son, the son he and his wife had waited so long to have, and he adored his son. I mean, Abraham, if you know his story, if you read his story, he adored his son. He would have given up anything for him. It took a long time. It took a lot of talking. It took a lot of, uh, of conversation with God, a lot of wrestling with God, both by Abraham and Sarah, before they would eventually get pregnant and have their son Isaac. And now God is going to test them. Genesis 22, let's pick it up in verse 1. We read, sometime later, God tested Abraham. Now, we read it, all right? So we see it. We know it. We know that God is up to something here. Keep in mind, Abraham didn't have these words, all right? And so he's just living it. He's just living life. He's just going through the daily motions. And so we see that it's a test, but you got to wonder, like, why is God going to test Abraham? Well, the fact is that he does that. Uh, that God will test us. He allows our faith to be tested. And it doesn't mean that he causes bad things. It doesn't mean that he causes the pain, but he will allow us to go through it. We live in a broken world. Uh, We live in a world of free will, but it is a broken world. And even Jesus said that you and I, that we're going to experience difficult times. We're going to go through these troubles, but God will use these to grow our faith. And so sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, go back to verse 1 there for a second. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Now, here I am is not just Hebrew for, yeah, what's up? What do you, what, what do you want to talk about? Like, 
Like that, if, if you dig into this here, it's Abraham's way of saying, no, I am standing at attention waiting for your command. Uh, this is an example, a, a picture of readiness. Uh, it's a picture of, of Abraham's surrender. See, Abraham is a, is a man, he's an example of a man who is growing in his faith in the Lord. And so he replies, here I am. I am ready, God. Uh, what is it that you have for me? What is it that you want to say to me? Verse 2. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Now, scholars tell us that the writing style here slows down significantly. That up to this point in Abraham's story, the story kind of jumps from scene to scene in a somewhat rapid pace, but it becomes much more personal here. Again, it is slowing down. And what does God say? God says to him, I want you to take your son and offer him up as a burnt offering. Now, right away, I know that someone here today might be like, this is exactly the problem that I have with the Bible, or this is exactly the problem that I have with, with the God of the Old Testament. We're going to come back to that question, so hang on to that. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But I want you to see, I want you to see the promise here. Uh, again, we'll come back to that, but, but first I want you to see what's happening here with Abraham and his treasured son, okay? And let's just let what's happening with Abraham represent your life and mine for just a moment. Like, consider this. What, what is one thing what is one thing in your life that you would say, if you were honest with yourself, that you would say that you treasure above everything else? Like I think for some of us, we would say or we would point to a possession of some sort. So maybe there's a, a valuable possession. It could be something like a piece of property. It could be a house. Uh, it could be a car, it could be a boat, it could be a piece of jewelry, it could be the money that you've earned for yourself that you have setting aside in, in the bank right now. Like that could be one thing. Maybe you would say that that's my most treasured possession. Uh, another would be to say, you know, this, it's my job or uh, it's what I hope to do one day. I've I got my sight set on, you know, kind of having my own business, kind of working for myself one day. I mean, it, it can easily be your job or vocation or uh, it could be your dreams or goals. I mean, these things could be those that we treasure the most. Like you get your mind set on something and it's amazing how much money and time and tears that we're willing to, to pour into it. Or, or finally, maybe it's a relationship. Uh, maybe it's a relationship that you have with a relationship with people like your parents or uh, your spouse or your kids or uh, someone you're dating or a relationship that you hope to have one day uh, or with your friends. Any of these can be good things. Like, it, it doesn't mean that they're wrong and that we shouldn't desire these things and there isn't a rightful place uh, for these in our lives. But if we're honest with ourselves, we can let any of these things become the ultimate thing, the most treasured thing. And, and you can't help but wonder, is that what's happening with Abraham here? And, and maybe is that part of the reason why God is going to test him? Verse 3. It says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Now, how obedient is Abraham to the request that God has given him? I want you to notice that he is up early the next morning. And I don't know if that's there intentionally or not. I kind of think that it is. It certainly is significant that God has given them this, this very difficult, hard to comprehend, probably confusing command. And notice that he's up early for this journey, already preparing for a three-day journey 
to Moriah. And we read about three days, three days. And man, you can't help but wonder what three days would be like if you put yourself in Abraham's shoes. Every day, another step up the mountain alongside of your son. And you got to believe he's asking questions like, did I hear God wrong? You got to believe he's wondering, you know, I've given up so much already. Like we picked up everything we had ever known to move to this new place. Or we've waited so long for our son. Like why must I give up my only son? Or because of the promise that God made to him that all of these descendants would come through Isaac. Like, like what, what, how's that happen if he's dead? I mean, what, what about God's promises? He promised that we would become a great nation, that there would be many descendants through Isaac. Verse 4. It says, on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Now, I want you to notice the pronoun usage here that we see at the end of verse 5. Notice that Abraham says, we will worship and then what? We will come back to you. Now, some say that Abraham was lying here as a way of protecting his son from what was about to happen. Others think that Abraham is already demonstrating faith. He is demonstrating faith that somehow both he and Isaac will return from what God has asked him to do. And he may not have understood the why behind God's request, but I do think we can see here that he knows the character of God. And he spent enough time with the Lord and he's been enough uh, through enough things with him that he knew his promises and he was at least holding on to the promise that God was going to produce a great family and he was holding on to that with everything that he had. We get a, a hint, a glimpse of Abraham's thinking and his response in the New Testament many years later in Hebrews chapter 11 beginning in verse 17 when this is what's written about what Abraham was willing to do. It says, by faith. Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. And so Abraham says to his servants here in Genesis 22, we will come back because he knew that no matter what happened on that mountain, that God was faithful and that he was good at his promises and that they would come back. And when you think about it, that's what faith is like. All right, as we talk about in this series, faith and how God wants each of us have, to have greater faith, like faith is trusting the Lord even when life doesn't make sense. Even when things don't add up, even when circumstances aren't going the way that you hope, even when you pray and you pray and you pray, and somehow it's impossible to see that in your current situation, anything could possibly lead to good. But in those moments, like in those moments, it becomes a matter of trusting. It's a matter of trusting when things aren't going the way that we would like them to go. It's trusting God that he doesn't just see one scene of the story, but that he is the writer of the entire story and he knows what he's up to and he's asking for faith. He's just asking that we keep trusting him no matter how difficult it may be. Verse six, and so Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father, 
Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And so the rest of the traveling party, all right, if you notice here, stays behind as Abraham and Isaac make their final descent to this destination. Notice that Abraham and Isaac are both carrying the supplies that are needed for the upcoming sacrifice. And as we discussed last week, Abraham had offered many sacrifices before, built, built many altars. And so this is something that they both would have been very familiar with. But imagine the tension. Imagine the tension for Abraham when Isaac asked, Father, where is the lamb for the sacrifice? Talk about awkward, right? I mean, it probably gets a little awkward in that moment. Like this is the part where we as parents have to master the art of changing the subject as quickly as possible, right? Like if you, if you have young kids and you've ever been out in public or something and, and maybe, maybe you're one of kids well, you makes just a comment a little bit too loud, like, Dad, why, why is that guy so fat, you know? But it's just loud enough that you know that other people, so you, you change the subject as quickly as possible. Or, you know, moms, where, where do babies come from, you know? And if you're kids are young enough, you just kind of master the art of, here, have a candy bar, you know, and you just kind of move on with your day. Abraham doesn't change the subject, but he says God will provide the lamb. He's going to provide the lamb for the burnt offering, and the two of them continue on together. Verse 9, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. Now, scholars guess that uh, Isaac was likely somewhere around the age of 15. Uh, that he'd been a young, kind of a middle adolescent at this time. And, and we know that he's strong because at least from what we read, he is helping to carry the wood, the supplies up the mountain for this sacrifice. Abraham, on the other hand, was an old man. And so if Isaac wanted to resist, I mean, most certainly he probably could have. But I just think it's interesting that we see faith in Isaac too. And where did he get that kind of faith? Probably from watching mom and dad. That probably helped him. And man, what a, I, I can't help but like, what a great reminder for us parents or, you know, aunts and uncles, grandmas and grandpas, any of you that have kids in your life and kids in your life regularly, like it, your kids are watching you and they're learning from us. And every day we have an opportunity to model faith. Like even this greater vision is an opportunity for you to model faith for your kids. I, I just, I have this picture. Just imagine your son or your daughter one day sitting with their church and their church going through an event like we're going through right now and your son or daughter and maybe their family sitting there and remembering mom and dad. I, I, remember, what, I remember what mom and dad did. I remember what our family did and, and demonstrating faith of their own because of the way that you lived. Again, verse 9, when they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Now let's come back to the question for a moment. Why in the world would God have asked Abraham to sacrifice his very own son? Now I've said this before. I read this somewhere else. I love this. We've got to keep in mind all the time that we are Western readers 
peeking into an ancient Eastern world. It was a different day. It was a different culture. It was a different context. And I heard Pastor J.D. Greer explain a little bit more about what's going on here and how that there's just something deeper at play. It goes something like this, that while human sacrifice was well known in other cultures at this particular time in history, it was strictly forbidden by God. And for those reasons, it must have been frustrating. It must have been confusing for Abraham to even consider such a request. But Abraham also knew what the firstborn son of a family represented. And it was basically this, a debt owed to God. And that was significant for Abraham, and that was significant for others living in this day. The same was true of other firsts, like God required the firstborn of the cattle. Uh, he required the firstborn, or, uh, the firstborn of the sheep to be sacrificed to him, as well as the first fruit of the crops. And so the only way you could spare the life of the firstborn son was to make a blood sacrifice in his place. And so while confusing, while a little trying, again, Abraham knew the importance of the firstborn son in their culture. And again, it doesn't mean that it wasn't confusing or difficult for him. He just knew what was at stake. Uh, Tim Keller says this about what's happening here. I thought this was so good. He says, if Abraham had thought God had told him, kill Sarah, his wife, and then I know you love me, he would have never done that. He would have concluded that he was hallucinating because God would not have commanded senseless murder like that. And God would not have said it because it would have been murder. But when God said, offer Isaac, Abraham knew exactly what that meant, the firstborn. It represented his very life and the debt every man owes to God. And so basically, Abraham understood what he needed to do. And so Isaac laid down on the altar. Abraham drew his knife in the air. And then verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven. Abraham, Abraham, here I am. There are those words again, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And so you could say Abraham passed the test, that his faith in the Lord and clinging to the promises of God led him through. And then verse 13, Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. In those days, the name that you gave to a place was significant. I just want you to see here that Abraham doesn't name it the place where I obeyed, but he named it the place where the Lord provided. And here's something else that's interesting too that this scene on Mount Moriah is what you would call foreshadowing. It's foreshadowing because it's the same area where later another one and only son who was loved by his father would march up the very same mountain and that son would also carry the wood for his own sacrifice on his bare back because it's the same area that God would later give and sacrifice his only son Jesus to be crucified and for Abraham it was just a test but the day would come when it would be so much more than that that God would give his son who would give his life for all of us with a cross on a mountain called Calvary and it's where Jesus willingly died to take my place 
and to take your place so that we could be forgiven. He died so that we could know that we are loved by God. He died so that we could have life and have life through him. And he died to give us, he died to make us new. And he died to give us a greater purpose and a greater vision for our lives in this world. And I just want you to know this morning that he wants to be your treasure above anything else. Uh, he is after total surrender from every single one of us. And he does not want anything, anything at all to stand in the way of your relationship and my relationship with him. Can I just ask you this morning, are you totally surrendered to God in everything with your life? Is he your greatest treasure or is something else? And, and, and the point isn't, the point isn't that you or I, that we have to identify our Isaac and give that back to God as if he needs that from us or something. That, that's not the point. But the point is that we are surrendered to him in everything that we have and everything that we acquire here on this earth. And it's more than finances for sure, but for many of us, money is the greatest barrier between us and, and total surrender to God. It's true. And, and this greater event is an opportunity for each of us to take one more step in our surrender, in our financial surrender to him. And that's true of you whether you're a kid. It's true of you whether you're a student. It's true of you if you're single. It's true of you if you're married or if you're retired. And by now, everyone should have received a commitment card. We want everybody to have one of these and to be praying through these. Again, they're available back at the Greater Vision booth if you don't have one. There's also an example on page 17 if you're in your greater booklet uh, and want to turn there. But you're going to have an opportunity on Tuesday night if you would come to our advanced commitment night or in a couple of weeks to complete this card as a way of committing to this two-year event. And here are a few questions before I close that I want to get you thinking about and as you pray about what the Lord might be leading you to. The first question is this. I want you to ask yourself, does my commitment demonstrate faith? Does my commitment demonstrate faith? Because what you commit, I think, should, should include some element of risk and faith. Because in many ways, this is a test. This is a test for us, much like it was a test that, that God allowed Abraham to go through. And so what Abraham modeled for us is that he trusted God and that nothing at all was going to stand in the way of that. So does it model faith? The second thing is, does my greater commitment demonstrate sacrifice? Is there an element of sacrifice to it? Abraham was willing to offer up his son, Isaac, as a way of obeying the Lord. It was something that meant the most to him. What I hope you'll be praying about is the number that you're going to write in that commitment card, the number that you'll write on the inside there. In fact, the most important number that you write is right there in that box that is circled. And just to point out to you, just so that it's clear, because I know we've had questions, this top part here is really just as a helpful tool for you to get you thinking about what the Lord might lead you to give. And so if I were to fill this out, I would write in what, what our family, what we would typically give in a regular year uh, and then multiply it times two. Again, it's just a way to get you thinking. I mean, you just kind of use this for yourself. We just want it to be helpful for you, but this is what's most important. It's what you ultimately will write in the two-year box as a way of saying, here's what I plan to give back to the Lord through Genesis over the next two years, whether you do it regularly or in different sums. I mean, that, again, that is completely up to you. But as you think about what the Lord might be leading you to, I hope you'll ask yourself, does this commitment represent, does this number represent a sacrifice 
in my life. And I also want to show you, and it's on the back side of the card or just to the left of it if you're looking in the booklet, I mean, this is just the scale of what it's going to take for us to hit our goal if it were to work out perfectly. And so you're going to see gifts of all amounts and sizes. And we have families, we have individuals in our church that are capable of giving any number of these gifts over two years. While this is exciting and crazy to think about, I want you to know that for some people, this is going to be the greatest sacrifice they've ever made in their life. And so it's not about equal gifts, it's not about equal numbers, but it is about equal sacrifice for every single one of us. But let me also point out the number of gifts that are needed, the number of individuals or households that we're praying will join us in this greater commitment. I think there are something like over 700 households committed as a part of this table, and just to give you a perspective, we have that number of households in our church, but last year in 2019, we had over 400 households give financially back to the Lord through Genesis. And so again, you can just see it's going to take every single one of us. This is why we're praying for 100% engagement, everyone sacrificing together, and I'm encouraged. I'm very encouraged. I've had a conversation with so many of you. We've had people that are already filling out their commitment cards, telling some of their stories about what God is leading them to. We've had people talk about selling cars, postponing trips, or a project on their home. I mean, last week we saw two great stories from some kids, a kid and a student in our church who are giving from what they have. Uh, maybe for you, as you think about sacrifice, maybe it has something to do with your tax return this year. You have to pray about what's a sacrifice for you and what the Lord is leading you to. But the third question I hope you'll ask is, does my commitment demonstrate full surrender? Because you can distinguish between the two. You can make big sacrifices and still retain control. But surrender's different. Surrender's about giving up all control. Uh, total surrender is really about viewing life much more like a blank check of sorts with no restrictions before God. And I'm not there yet. Uh, don't put me on that pedestal. I, I, I got plenty of room to grow. Uh, all the time, every day, I'm still wanting to take control in my life. Um, I could point to examples of afraid to let go. I'm, I'm afraid of the unknowns. Uh, I get fearful of the uncertainties. I am not totally surrendered to God, but he's working on me, uh, much like he's working on many of you. And I'm learning that faith isn't, faith isn't something that you dig deep to find either, but faith is a gift from God. It's something that he produces in us as we trust him, as we respond to his tests with faith. And as I shared last week, you know, Jenny and I have been praying about our part for some time. We've had a little bit more time to think about this than many of you. And uh, one of the things that Jenny and I find, um, at least I'll say this for me for sure, I, I put a lot of faith in the money that we've been saving uh, and investing and setting aside for things like college, retirement, whatever. And and the fact is that over the last 20 years, we've been able to watch, you know, those funds grow, except for the last few weeks where they've been going like this. But uh, uh, here's what we believe the Lord's leading us to do. Jenny and I, we're going to double our giving to Genesis over the next two years. Uh, we believe that's what he is leading us to do. Uh, and through that, I mean, we will, we will give more than we paid for our first home over the next two years. And a big part of that increase is going to come from savings for us, uh, because I guess you could say we treasure it but there's something that we treasure more and want to treasure more. And I only tell you that, I only tell you that just so that you know that we're taking this seriously. Uh, we're praying about these things that we wouldn't ask you to consider doing anything that we're not willing to do ourselves. Am I afraid? No, I'm not afraid. 
Do I feel a little crazy at times? Yes, I do feel a little crazy at times, probably like some of you. But this is what God's asked us to do. And all I'm asking for you to do is to pray, God, what do you want to do through me? And what do you want to do through our family? What is the next step you want us to take? And this is an opportunity for all of us. It's an opportunity for our kids. This is an opportunity for our students, every single one of us who calls Genesis home. And in case you're wondering again, why are we doing this again? Like, why are we putting ourselves through this? It is a faith journey for every single one of us. There are some obstacles we need to overcome as a church that we've been talking about over the last weeks. Again, we've got to overcome them. And so we're trusting God to lead us uh, through this next season and provide just as he provided for Abraham. But I'll end with this. I also want to remind you that there's another reason why we do this. We've been given the assignment of helping people find their way back to God. That's the assignment that he has given us. And we talk all the time about people in our community who don't know the Lord, who need to know the Lord. And yes, they are a priority for what we do. But I also want to remind you that we have people in our own church. We have people in our community right now who maybe at one point confessed a relationship with Jesus Christ, but are hurting, are struggling, or asking questions, going through difficult times. We all need to find our way back to God from time to time.